This is the Podcast Inc. production. Booyah! This is the moment podcasting fans listening around the world have been waiting for. Coming to you not so live from a listening device of your choice. It's time! Podcasting out of this corner, a mixed martial talker, holding no professional record. He stands at six feet one and one half inches tall, weighing in at whatever he feels like, hailing out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, presenting the sometimes angry, always funny, Self-proclaimed podcasting champion of the world, Steve Fingerstyles! So, welcome to another rendition of the podcast. I am here once again, always again, and brought to you by First Row Collectibles, if you're into nerd culture or sports memorabilia, please visit firstrow.ca. Use promo code THEPODCAST20. You'll get 20% off. Everything you see there is in Canadian funds because they are based out of Winnipeg, Manitoba. So all, to all you American listeners, it's a little bit cheaper rate once you do the conversion. And don't worry, international, they ship worldwide as well. Please visit them daily. They update all the time. They got new stuff every day, literally. They got signed hockey cards. They got signed comic books. They got wrestling figures that are signed, pictures that are signed, anything you literally need or want to nerd out on they have there and if you like to nerd out you must be into video games and probably books if so please visit bossfightbooks.com today for great books on classic video games you'll find titles like nba jam red dead redemption resident evil and so many others they have everything available in paperback and e-format so please visit bossfightbooks.com if you want to support me directly please visit my merchandise store at tpublic.com or scroll down on today's device it's embedded right there click on that link it takes you right to the merchandise store i got everything from hoodies to t-shirts to covid masks to travel cases anything you need or want it's literally there but if you don't want to support me monetarily it's totally understandable the easiest thing the most free thing the thing that takes you two seconds is rate subscribe review on all major platforms most specifically apple Podcasts, stitcher TuneIn, soundcloud spotify and iHeartRadio. So this week's guest is the founder and CEO of Bitfry Games, the studio behind the Ultimate Rivals franchise, Ben Friedland. Thanks for having me. What's going on, my friend? How are you? Very well. Thanks very for well. being here. Thanks for being here. Really appreciate it. You are a CEO, so I'm sure you're very busy these days. <laughs> Never. I've got all the time on my hand that you could ever want. Well, I was going to say right off the bat, are you one of those guys that are hands-on or do you like make, are you like the coach that makes this team and you just sit back and let them do all the work? Um, I'm very hands-on to design the game in certain key areas. Um, I like to think that I'm hands-off in the areas that matter, although I'm sure if you asked the, um, the team, they would probably argue the other way around. I, I, it's a tough balance. I mean, we want, um, you know, I'm very heavily involved in the, the vision of the gameplay and the aesthetic and the way it feels, uh, especially kinetically, the 
tactile element of it. It's an action game at 60 frames per second. Um, I drew a lot of inspiration from games like Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat and wanting to bring those kinds of um, elements of those game loops into arcade action sports, which I don't think has ever been done before. Um, and so I keep you know really close tabs on how the game evolves insofar as those things go. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of areas in the game. There's there's many many pieces to it, and I try to stay out of the things that are um, not really core to, to to that part of my vision. You know, there's there's okay. areas of things like retention and meta loops and all the things that go into making a game a modern uh, product that sure. um, require a lot of special expertise and consideration and. I tend to stick closer to the core game loop and let the team, um, you know, flex its muscles on on everything that's kind of beyond that. No, that's awesome. So, what is your background in video games? I have no background in video games. Okay. Um, yeah, interestingly, I have no background in video games or sports. I oh, shit. <laughs> um, was a high school dropout. I went to work shortly after for Microsoft as a software engineer. Mm. Uh, okay. Ended up moving into Wall Street. As a, as a fintech software engineer and um, hedge fund space and investment banking, uh, and then ultimately um, had always wanted to play more of these types of games. These, you know, the games that I think, from what I understand, you grew up playing. I grew up on the NES. Yeah. You know, games like Blades of Steel. Of course. Um, you know, Tech Mobile and some more obscure ones like Baseball Simulator 1000 from Culture Brain, uh, RBI Baseball, and then of course you get into the 90s and you had. The next evolution of those games, like for Midway, um, you have all the you know slugfests and hits and blitz and jam and red card soccer, and then of course, Nintendo had a whole franchise of, of pretty some of them pretty really good, um, you know, soccer baseball games with Mario. Um, those were my inspirations, and um, I just one day woke up and decided, you know, um, I hadn't seen a good baseball video game in a while in the arcade space, and I really wanted mm-hmm. to make a baseball video game. Um, and I and I didn't want licenses. I wanted it to be set in the past. I was inspired by a movie called The Natural that Robert Redford, um, which takes place in the 1920s. And then I was also inspired by Field of Dreams. And I started to make a game set in the 1920s, a baseball game with no licenses. Wow. And um, seven, you know, six and a half, seven years later, I ended up releasing a, a licensed hockey game set in the future with every single license. Uh, known to the category, almost every single license. So right. you really don't know where your, um, you know, your quest is going to take you when you start to make a video game. But we did stick to the core, I think, thesis of the game, which was arcade action, pick up and play. You know, it's become a cliche. It's easy to pick up and play, but difficult to master. And that really is what we're aiming for. And um, you know, we're about to wrap up development on our second title, which is the NBA license Ultimate Rivals the Court. And um, I'm excited for that because I think that's going to really set a new benchmark in in the entire category of sports games no, uh, most, across the board. Most definitely. Well, 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 we'll get into the rink and the court. But first off, now I'm intrigued. What's this 1920s baseball game? Why did this, this come to fruition? What happened? Well, um, yeah, it's a, some of the story I'd love to tell more of. I'm still, I still, I ended up, um, you know, making an unlicensed, you know, slice of this game, um, and eventually I went out and I sought some film rights to an actual film. Oh, wow. um, I can't say what film it is um, okay. because I'm still under NDA, and in that, in that project, never, you know, in the course of trying to advance the development of that project 
and the funding of that project, we stumbled into an opportunity to make the contemporary fully licensed game. And that led to an opportunity to make what was at one point a Toys to Life video game franchise, a lot like Disney Infinity. Uh-huh. Everything you see in Uncle Arrivals, yeah, it was originally going to have toys attached to it. Okay, okay. Um, so we've been on a really, um, you know, windy path to get to where we are. Um, and I still have hopes and dreams someday to make that game set in the 1920s for baseball. I think it would be cool to have a retro, you know, I would say retro is not the right word, but, you know, to have sort of a period piece baseball game. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we've ever, I don't think that's ever been done. So no. I'm, I can't make any promises, but it's still my hope that someday that will end up getting made. So was this all part of the Bitfry game? Is this how it started? Yeah. That was the whole premise? So why did you want to start a studio on your own then? It, you know, I saw, I think I believed that there was a real commercial opportunity behind this category that hadn't really been touched in uh, decades right? Yeah. Um, in any serious way. And, and then I used my own desire to play those games as, um, you know, the market testing uh, behind that thesis. And <laughs> To some degree, I really wanted to play the game that nobody would make, and I, I felt like if no one's going to make it, then I guess I'll have to make it. Um, sure. And I set out to, you know, build a team. My first investor was um, a guy named Les Otten, who um, is credited properly for having argued to not tear down Fenway Park when the Yawkey Trust sold the team. Uh, eventually to um, a group that he actually created. Right. And uh, John Henry ended up becoming the principal of. It was actually Les's deal. And he was the first investor in. And I remember going up to his house in Maine and seeing a lot of photos on the wall of Mickey Mantle and oh, wow. um, other other Yankees from the 50s, which I thought was ironic because this <laughs> is the guy who, you know, was part a big part of the Red Sox winning their first World Series in 80, 86 years or whatever it was. Right, right. Um, and, and then I just slowly started to build a team of people who um, I think put a premium on the aesthetics of, of this kind of game. I really think that aesthetics are uh, a key part of um, video games. I think it's mm-hmm. really um, technically challenging to make games that are hyper-realistic. Like simulations are technically challenging and they're economically challenging to produce, but they're not artistically challenging because you have a reference, the reference is reality, and it's mm. easy to copy the real thing. You may come up short, but the the action of copying it is not a difficult artistic effort. Right. It's a difficult technical effort. And when you start to make something that's stylized, um, it actually becomes harder to make. Like if you're trying to make a good Pixar movie, you know, there's a reason why there's only one Pixar and a lot of people make movies in that right. space and they're not that great. So I put a lot of effort into building a team around aesthetics and gameplay and you know, it took a long time, but we're now seven, you know, roughly seventy-five people full time um, in our oh, wow. studio in Portsmouth, and continuing cool. to grow. So, why did you choose Bitfry Game? What was the whole thing about this? Or was there any other names in the running, or is this what you wanted from the beginning? <laughs> Great question. Uh, no, I happened to have two domains parked that I owned that okay. I bought for a couple bucks, and one of them was Bitfry, uh, and the other one was Pow Logic. Oh, and. Um, both of them were generated by a domain generator algorithm. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, well, these are kind of cool. I like these the way they sound. Right. And um, and I called my brother, one of my brothers one day. I said, hey, I'm starting this thing. 
I've got Pow Logic and Bitfry. What what do you think? Which one should I use? And he said Bitfry. So there we, there you go. I'm sorry, <laughs> that's it's awesome. Not, not more than that. I was gonna say maybe it had something to do. You know, you you like fried food and maybe like the eight bit right. era or something like something. Well, that is to me what it meant when I saw it. You know, okay. frying bits. You know, I grew up on the Amiga five hundred, so that's the sixteen bit personal computer era, which right. was really probably the most exciting moment. <laughs> it was probably that moment where um, the potential for what these computers could do, um, and yet the lack of advancement commercially provided the most opportunity to individuals or small groups of people to create outsized effects on on the category, on, on the on the market on the on the genre or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think that you know, back in the Amiga days, people would spend a lot of time writing assembler, writing assembly code, and trying to ring out every last cycle of the CPU to get the fastest running graphics and make that machine do things that no one had ever seen before. So Bitfry to me is fast moving, fast moving code that creates amazing experiences. See, you should stick with that once you get like a big time interviewer. Go with that story. (laughs) This is my big time interview. I'm I'm telling you, I broke that news right here. Oh, appreciate it, man. Well, other than sports games, are you into any other video games? Uh, Not really recent, but say back in the day growing up and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, I like, I appreciate all genres. I mean, I think fighting games. I'm a huge um, fan of. I don't. I never considered myself an incredible uh, gamer in that space, but okay. um, love Street Fighter, love Mortal Kombat, um, love some of the more, at least to the Western audience, esoteric entries that come out of you know J- Japan, which are incredible. Right. Um, and and we look at those for a lot of inspiration. Um. And on top of that, you know, I grew up on, on a lot of NES platformers and uh, more recently, um, you know, I don't know. I think some of the massive, you know, role-playing games are, are fascinating to look at. I find it's hard to really devote a lot of time into that um, yeah. as an adult. I think it gets more challenging, um, but I appreciate them, like, for their expansiveness. And, you know, we're in a different age and era where you can imagine game experiences that are just incomprehensible to us as children in the eighties and nineties. You know, I think we imagined them, but we'd never imagined that they could actually become reality. So I have a lot of respect for all the work being done in like the metaverse space and things that people are doing, you know, in in more of the emerging categories that are harder to predict the results on. Um, You know, I think what we're doing is we're taking proven game loops, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and we're innovating on them in interesting ways that I think are daring, but at the same time, not, not, you know, insanely risky. It's not like, mm. uh, we're devising a completely new category. Right. I think we're taking a category that a lot of people have a strong affinity for. Mm-hmm. And I think we're, we're whittling away the things that, um, it's almost like if you go back and watch a movie trailer from even 10 years ago, mm-hmm. it'll seem incredibly slow. And if you go back 20 years ago, you'll yes. be like, this is what they used to, mar- to market a film back then. That's so, true. you know, I think games, yeah, it's like, you know, I love all the sports games from the nineties and the eighties, but, um, you know, the mind of a, of a teenager and a gamer today is operating at a different frequency, um, just due to social media and how much information we consume and how impatient we are to see things happen. And, you know, we work on that in our game. Like we spent a lot of time this last week arguing about the jump shot in the court. Okay. Um, it has a, you know, if there's a big jump shot and it has a big arc and you're watching it go down, you know, we did a video, a trailer, and we actually fast forwarded, we let it kind of build up and then we fast forwarded the conclusion of the arc mm-hmm. and it just looked better to see the ball like 
go in faster. Like, oh, wow. okay, I know it's a jump shot. Now show me the result. Like, I don't want to watch it fall, <laughs> you know, with the law of physics in effect. Like, it's just too slow. So we, we take that kind of lens to everything we're doing, and we try to find ways to make the game faster, right. but not in ways that are too taxing to people's actual hand-eye coordination that, that, that nobody would be able to play it. Right, right. No, that makes complete sense. And okay, before we get into Ultimate Rivals, we'll explain it for people who don't know because I have yeah. a vast array of people who listen, that. right? Yeah. But what's your favorite sports game then? Ever? Before Ultimate Rivals, of course. <laughs> Baseball Simulator 1000 from Culture Brain, 1987, I believe, or 88. Wow, that bad. Uh, it was a Japanese import. Yeah, okay. it was um, the first baseball video game um, that had a memory bank in the NES cartridge that let you play and track a complete 162-game season oh. across a six-team a six league, which is incredible on an NES. Yeah, I know, um, right? But I think what really got me was that you could play in outer space. Um, That's awesome. You could assign, like, weapons to the batter. You know, like, if you invoked one of the ultra moves and you chose missile and you made contact the ball would turn into a missile and if, if an outfielder tried to catch it, it would basically knock them, you know, all the way back in the outfield and pin them against the wall. Um, crazy stuff like that really kind of, I think laid the groundwork in my mind for how sports video games could be, um, more, I think, you know, compelling in terms of people's imagination and not necessarily trying to recreate everything we have in the real world. No, that um, and sense. that's for me, yeah, that for me, and I'll say I have an open bounty for anyone in the studio who can beat me in a single game oh. of Baseball Simulator 1000. I've offered tens of thousands of dollars, and nobody <laughs> has even come close. I don't think they're trying hard enough, so I keep upping it, you know, thinking somebody will step up, but it's it's, it's not even close. I'm not even worried about the money, honestly. Nobody's ever going to beat me at that game. Oh, that's hilarious. So you have a working version then. When did, is this something that you got after, or yeah. is it your original one from back in the day? I lost my original, but I remember lobbying my parents to take me to Toys R Us to buy it for, I think it was $89. You know, back then, games were expensive. Um, You know, and um, I had it, you know, I had it for quite a while. I think I lost it at some point. And I have a few copies, and we all have them at the studio because we kind of study, we study a lot of those games. Oh, makes sense. What made them, you know, what made them work, what made them not work. Exactly. So, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I recommend you play it, though. I think you'll appreciate the absurdity of it. I think I would, because the only out-there baseball game that I could think of was, I don't know, I think it was on the Genesis and the Super Nintendo, maybe. Uh, Baseball 2020? Does that ring a bell? Oh, yeah. 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 Where where it's all robots, and and, and then you get points for fouling it in a certain way or something, right? So See, I love love the Mutant uh, Mutant, uh, franchise as well. Those games are awesome, right? So I'm so into these type of things. Okay, so in a nutshell, what is Ultimate Rivals, and when did you have the idea to start all this? Because like you said, you have a bunch of licensed uh, franchise, not franchise, a bunch of licensed leagues, professional leagues Mm -hmm. that are backing the game, and you're involved in it big time. So explain to the people, my friend. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it evolved out of necessity originally. You know, like I said, we were exploring a Toys to Life platform um, to make um, a, an arcade sports franchise that had Disney Infinity or, you know, Skylanders-style toys that connected to the game um, and that were collectible. And one of the things we ran into was, look, if we make toys of, of sports and athletes, mm-hmm. they're very seasonal. Like, retailers really wouldn't want to hold on to um, you know, a 
a set of baseball players in the middle of, you know, their break from the season or, you know, so how do we make it so that they have relevance to, you know, a retail buyer, Mm -hmm. um, for the full 365, you know, calendar year. And one way that jumped out was like, well, what if we had them crossing over Mm. into, into, uh, into the other sports? Love it. That would give them a value to all the games so that no matter what time of year it was, there'd be, there'd be a rationale to own it and play with it. And that, that was just an idea that kind of led to the more important idea, which was the realization that, look, it's just cool. I mean, everybody mm-hmm. grew up arguing about, you know, what athletes could do outside of their sport. And we yep. thought that that was a novel differentiator from everything in the market and um, really kind of attacked that that sort of vision and put our energy and focus into building that business matrix of licenses licenses so that we can create that experience and and that ultimately what you have now right you can play with your favorite athlete from all the north american stick and ball sports um we're announcing another um ip next week it hasn't been announced yet it's it's going to shock a lot of people I think you might like it from what you told me earlier about your interest. I can't, I can't confirm or say anymore, but um, it's going to add a level of theatricality to what we're doing that I think will be will be really special. Um, and look, the you know the, the kind of motto of the franchise is like right. gamers can play with their ultimate team of athletes that only they can envision, right? Like we're deconstructing all the rules, not only in each title but across all the different leagues and being able to combine athletes in ways that only you can come up with and have that actually mean something to the way you play the game. You know, if I pick three soccer players on my basketball team in the court, you might find that they have certain buffs on their ability when they handle the ball that make it harder to steal from them Mm. Um, and things of that night, things of that night. So it's not just a skin. We're not just skinning. Right. We're not just getting athletes in the game and throwing licenses at it. There's a t- tremendous amount of effort and depth and thought that goes into why this makes sense and how it makes sense mm-hmm. from a gameplay standpoint. And if you saw the trailer we, we released last week or a week ago beyond that, I think we, you'll notice we put – there's a backstory in the game. We introduced the concept of um, a universe that you're living in, you're playing in, and why these athletes are coming together mm-hmm. and how that happened. And, and it's sort of a future retro sci-fi dystopian – uh, you know, kind of explanation. And I think it's kind of fun that we've done that. I don't think there's been a lot of story in sports games in America. I think I've seen right. it in Japan. I've always thought, you know, and I'm not talking about like the realistic story modes that are in the Sims. Those are obviously really impressive, but you know, Japan has a lot of games in the sports category that have totally fictionalized uh, characters and backstories that are introduced into licensed sports games. And mm. I've always thought that was interesting. No one's ever touched it in the west and i think we'll be i think we might be the first ones to ever do that oh that's awesome so okay i'm, I'm not going to put you on the spot so to say to try and get what is the next thing in line but what's the end goal do you want to have like literally everything like from golf to even nascar like who knows how far this thing could go like is that your goal just every single type of sport well you know i'll say something a little controversial um because i spent five six years of my life um accumulating more licenses or almost as many licenses as the two biggest uh, sports gaming publishers in in, in the United States. Um, right. And a lot of effort went into doing that. Um, 
but I do feel that the real star of the Ultimate Rivals is the gameplay. I really do. Mm. I think, you know, it's great okay. that we have the athletes. It's great that we have the leagues. Um, I, I don't think, you know, that it's not important, but I think that on its own, that doesn't create a compelling product that lasts any length of time. I think on its own, that's really just a gimmick. And Love it. what we're bringing to the table is a degree of, I think commitment to the finesse of what you might find in a street fighter Mm. um, and bringing that level of, of skill cap depth into a sports franchise across multiple titles. Uh, My real vision is less about, Hey, how many licenses can I jam into this? I know it may seem that way, but it's more into how much depth can I jam into these games so that the people who play them and invest their time have, you know, a decade to look forward to or more, hopefully. Um, you, know, you look at a game like Rocket League, I, we get mm-hmm. compared to Rocket League a lot. Okay. I, you know, I consider that a compliment. Um, I often pitch it as NBA Jam meets Street Fighter meets Rocket League. Mm. Um, you know, so, I, like I mean, it. not to dodge your question, like, I don't think throwing dozens and dozens of licenses into this will make it a better product. Um, I think that there's products out there that do really well by just introducing a kitchen sink of IP, like Fortnite. It, it makes right. sense, you know, like, yeah, yeah, it's not really altering the gameplay that much. It's funny. Um, <laughs> True. I don't want to take ourselves too seriously because that's never a good idea. But, you know, I, I think there's a time where you start bringing certain things into the mix and it, it just starts to feel kind of forced. Right. We don't want right. to ever find ourselves where we're, we're sticking something in there just for the cash grab and we're losing the respect of the people who really dedicate themselves to playing these games and take and take yeah. the craft and art of playing them seriously. Right. So I think there's a, there's a ceiling to what we can put in here um, and still be able to look ourselves in the eye and say that, you know, this, this is a good thing for the product and the consumer, as opposed to just, Hey, how can we just, you know, grab another license and slap it onto a title. And by the way, the more you add, the more hard it gets to make it make sense in the game, right? The more you add yeah, another, another kind of orthogonal vector of, of, rationale in in some athletic ability you have to balance it across so many permutations that it becomes mathematically challenging to maintain any consistency so we're we're cautious about that no for sure okay so why the rink first why did you choose hockey to be your first license to come out with and do all that and what makes it different from any other hockey game that's out there yeah um I got a lot of flack for that uh, from everybody. Oh, um, okay. Well, being Canadian, but, thank you. No. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> but Canada, but Canada and the NHL. Thank you. Um, <laughs> flack for that. But um, I stood by it 100%. Uh, I'll, you know, I, I think that um, hockey as a video game is one of the most incredible loops from an arcade standpoint okay. you know not not a sim because that becomes like the real thing and then you're evaluating it in a different way but right. there's a continuality of it like the puck doesn't stop moving um yeah. if you want an environment where gameplay doesn't have to stop or pause and feel sort of disjointed it frees you from having to kind of figure out how to handle those moments mm. and i think it creates a fast paced attention grabbing engagement loop inside the core game um that is provided almost for free by Mm. by what it is right like if you're a designer you don't have to worry about like the turn-based nature of a football game or the asymmetry of a baseball game like those those are harder to solve in some way and i so it's not 
you know, to take away from hockey at all by saying there's some simplicity mm-hmm. in having an arcade loop, but right. it, it, I think it allowed us to kind of hone our craft as a creative unit and build something that was really solid with the least amount of distractions. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I happen to love hockey, I think that at this point more than any other sport, wow. um, gave, I think gave me as a creator a little bit of an edge in confidence that I think I'm going to, I'm going to, do right by it as our first game because right. you got to remember we're commi- you know we were committing to ourselves to make four games mm-hmm. um it's kind of unheard of for a studio that's never made a game to be like yeah we're gonna you know <laughs> we're gonna make multiple games right. so the first one really had had to be good because otherwise nobody would want to make the second third and fourth one makes sense yeah. um and, right and we put a lot of effort into um not how to trick everyone into playing it constantly which i consider to be um, important to operating a business eventually, but mm-hmm. not important to to proving that you know how to make a video game. We put all of our effort into proving that we could make a really solid, bona fide uh, arcade action, sixty frame per second hockey game, and we built it in eight months. By the way, so Whoa. I'm very happy. That's crazy. Yeah, with what we did. <laughs> yeah, and as, as far as differentiators, obviously, what we covered already is the fact that you know you can play with NBA players and and of football course. players and and so forth is, is maybe the most obvious thing, but also we've introduced the concept of ultimate moves. So every sport has its own ultimate move. You'll see in the rink that, um, you know, a hockey player can pull the Stanley cup out of the ice and run around freezing people by touching them with it, which creates a power play. Um, an NBA (laughs) player in the rink can call their ultimate and it draws a three point, line of a uh, ring of fire a key oh, around, around yeah around the goal so if you score <laughs> from outside the ring of fire it's worth three goals like a three-pointer wow. in, in basketball so, so things fun. like that really elevate the game into um you know more like a fighter more like a rocket league more like something that sure. you have that core uh i think that momentum of a hockey game but mm-hmm. at the same time anyone can change the direction of the game by pulling out those moves and, and really kind of creating an imbalance for a brief moment in time that the other player has to catch up to. So, okay, before we go any further, what are the licenses that are under your belt? So we have uh, NHL, NHL players, um, NBA, NBA players, mm-hmm. the NFL players, um, the MLB players, Major League Baseball, U.S. Women's Soccer, um, nice. the WNBA and the WNBA players, and... Wayne Gretzky for good measure. No, <laughs> you gotta have Wayne Gretzky, right? <laughs> Especially with yes. hockey. <laughs> yes. So, yes. how did you decide yes. which players got into the game? Then, were there? Did you have to reach out to the players per se, or were there people volunteering? Like, no, I want to be in this game. How did it all go down? Well, we've got a lot of great relationships with players in every sport, which is how we built the company. We're actually a player-first organization. Um, some studios that we're working in the space will start with league owners i mean we did have a team owner as our first investor oh, okay. but we really we really built a lot of relationships with players but that's not how we selected the players we we really treated the game like i said as a fighting game so rather than having 700 baseball players in our game sure we have you know we have one hockey player per team in the hockey game right oh, okay. so we launched with 31 hockey players and we pick you know i have to be careful but we pick the you know who we think at that moment in time is the, the tier one player sure. for that team. And there may be two or three on some teams if of you've course. got a big market team. But we pick, and then we save some for 
the next game. So we'll, oh. we'll release six more hockey players in the basketball game. I think we're launching with 70 new players in the court um, when basketball goes live. Okay. And there will, be, there will be some new hockey players, plus all the players that are in the rink, all the hockey players, all the baseball players, mm-hmm. all the – basketball they can all come over and play in the in the court oh wow that's cool day one and all the court players can now automatically play in the ring oh okay because that's what i was going to ask are you guys going to be adding more players as you go or is it just going to be as you drop each game that's when you get the new players a little bit of both we did we did add some soccer players after we launched hockey and we're so focused on the core game but as we continue to stand the legs up of the of the whole of the whole franchise you'll Mm -hmm. see more of a content stream that looks a bit more like a typical service-based game. Okay. Um, you know, to kind of come to life and kind of bring a little more appointment-based gaming, a little more sure. of a, a service-based feel to it. Mm-hmm. But there are so many athletes that it's like, I highly doubt anybody's going to be, be really kind of at, at want for like mm-hmm. new IP in between this and the next release. So is it safe to say you want to drop a game for every franchise that you guys have under your belt then? Yeah, it is safe to say that that is something we want to do. We did announce um, a license with the NFL players uh, last year, which includes in it a mention of um, the rights to make an arcade action football game. Beautiful. So it is in our it is in our studio's plan to make a football game. Um, you know, I can't comment officially about anything more than that, sure. but I think you can see the vision of the franchise and the ultimate goal of Ultimate Rivals is to have games for every sport that are that are equal in their quality you know i don't want any product to be better than the other i want oh, okay. every product to continue to kind of rise with with the other products sure. even as we learn new things and, and make and you know innovate in new ways we want to we want them all to kind of grow with each other and be be a place to play arcade sports that mm-hmm. is really deeply embedded with each other and that's never been done anywhere else in in the category Oh, that's cool. So the rink is available now. The court's coming out soon. So let's touch on the court, what people might expect, what they don't. So these guys don't shy away from it, and you've even said it. Inspiration, NBA yeah. Jam, of course. These guys, I'm, I'm sure anyone thinks of arcade basketball, it's either NBA Jam or the Street Series, in my opinion. That's what everyone thinks of, right? So yes. yeah. what makes it different from NBA Jam? Again, we know about the players, we know about this, but you mentioned you have power-ups in other games, the, all, the stuff you mentioned earlier. So what else are you adding to this game that wasn't in hockey? Yeah, um, we've done some innovation with scoring that you'll see in this game. If you look at our trailer, you'll see that um, in some of the footage, the score is like 400 to 120. I was going to ask um, that, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, funny enough, I, was, I, was, I got a text from our head of um, uh, business development during okay. the All-Star game, and he texted me a screenshot. It was like 150 to like 115 that night. And he's like, hey, I think we're really on to something you know, with these crazy scores. And I said, yeah, I said it was bugging me because the, the, the session length of our games is short. These games are not meant to be 30 minute games. They're not right. simulation. Of course. So if you play three minutes of basketball and you finish, you know, and you're up and you won 23 to 18, there's just something like, to me, I was very underwhelmed by that. Oh, when, makes sense. You know, everything, you know what I mean? Like yeah. everything else in our game is like the court is on fire. The hoop is melting into a puddle of metal. <laughs> right. And I want 23 to 18. I'm like, I'm not happy with this. Like, gotcha. this is really beat. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're doing innovative things with scoring that okay. I think may in the video look confusing, but I promise when we're done launching will make sense to people. Um, mm-hmm. And, 
uh, there's certainly, I think, a speed to the game that is pushing boundaries that, you know, prior generations, um, you know, for re- for good reasons. I said it earlier, like, I think we're just playing at a faster pace. Right. Um, no doubt, you know, what we brought over from the from the rink is the, the cross play of different athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some charge meter stuff we're doing that's unique in terms of, you know, continually scoring and building up charge that allows you to um, do more special things without calling an ultimate mm-hmm. um, that I think will differentiate it further. I, I think that the comparisons to jam will always be there. Of course. Um, you can't avoid it if you're in the space, but mm-hmm. I think um, we never, we, you know, I kind of joke that I, I look at the, I look at jam as like the Abbey road of, you know, about basketball video games. And okay we're a little funkier. So, you know, we can make something like purple rain or something, you know, a little more, just a little with a little more attitude um, and funk, but while respecting what we know works in those games, right. But not trying to be, you know, we're three on three, first of all, which is not what jam was. A street was three on three, but I think, you know, that creates new challenges and new opportunities. The game is more, I think has a tactical positional, element to it that a two-on-two game doesn't have to worry too much about. Mm-hmm. Um, so that creates new opportunities, but new challenges when it comes to AI. I think that when you play it, um, you won't mistake it for any game that's ever been made for, before. E- even if you do, cannot help yourself by comparison it, you know, comparisons to prior titles. Now, another question I have quickly. The players, you mentioned you want every game to be just as good as the next. Now, in players, how, how do you make... Okay, I'm sorry to say, North Americans don't really like soccer, right? So how do you make someone pick a soccer player over a baseball or a football player? Well, if you play the rink and you play with, uh, you know, Alex Morgan, you'll see how fast she skates around. And most of the top players that I know that play the rink mm-hmm. don't play without Alex Morgan on the team. Oh, there so, you go. yeah, so I think it's really... And that's why I said, like, look, I think the licenses are a vehicle... For us, I mean, I think when you're building a sim, your licenses are really about providing c- customers with a way to experience their favorite sport in mm. that it's almost indistinguishable from what they watch on TV. That is the promise of a sim, I think. And I think for us, the licenses are a vehicle to provide some structure around a really kind of uh, crazy adaptation of the sport right. and, and provide a little familiarity and contextuality. But I really maintain that the star of our game is really the gameplay. And I think, you know, if you kind of like, you know, blinded yourself to who you were playing with and just looked at the attributes, kind of like a lot of fighter game competitors really do. Like they don't, you know, they may get attached to a character, but it's usually, uh, it's usually a, it's usually a more economic decision. It's like, what can I beat everybody with? Not, Mm. not who do I like the art the most of, or, you know, what fits my play style. (laughs) I think, who think that way are going to like ultimate rivals i think there's enough people who might just play because they like their favorite athlete but we're closer to being a fighter game than we are really being in Jam in many ways oh that makes sense okay so now people want to know you mentioned there's a story what other game modes are there is there a regular season can you play online couch co-op so there's a multiplayer online mode that'll be there at launch um one versus one human with 3v3 teams Okay. Um, there's one v one human with two v two teams in in the rink. Um, you, you you don't control the goalie um, in the rink, but it is three v three if you count the goalie. Mm-hmm. We have introduced a new mode um, coming out in the court called Gauntlet, um, and 
I'm not going to get too much into it because some of that the details around it are still kind of uh, being formalized. But, but to me, there's a there's a mode that I'm thinking about that won't be in there at launch um, that I, I'm excited about that I'll, I'll share it with you, even though it won't be there. So people okay. can be disappointed <laughs> that it's not there when I tell you about it. But I, I realized after playing the first time user experience okay. of our game, you know, where you imagine you just you look, you download it, you're playing it and you get the tutorial and it's showing you how to play how to shoot. Sure. And I got to a stage where I had to do two layups and I had to take two jump shots to get to the next step of the, of the Fatui. Oh, okay. And I deliberately did not take the jump shots because I just wanted to spend like two hours just taking jump shots. Oh shit. Sorry. I didn't take the layups. I just yeah, wanted yeah. to make jump shots. And I realized like, it's just fun to shoot the basketball in this game. Like, right. and what came out of that was a mode that we're playing around with called arcade mode, which basically is an endless roguelike, basketball oh. game where you unlock you play four quarters right. but you unlock the fifth quarter and then in the fifth quarter you have to do something to unlock this they're no longer oh. quarters but we'll call them quarters sure. and really it, it it ends when you when you when you die mm-hmm. so to speak right when okay. you lose so it's almost like space invaders meets well, that's cool NBA, you know yeah. and i think that like i'm not as interested in in the studio we've never really been that interested in trying to checkbox every mode and feature that's been in every sure. past arcade game I mean, people will have expectations for certain things. I don't think that's where the real opportunity lies. I think it's in doing things with the core element of the game um, in ways that no one's ever played. I would rather watch someone on Twitch playing an endless basketball game Mm. for two hours with the stakes get higher and higher than I would watch them 42-minute matches. Like, I, Uh, I, you know, we're in a different place and time, and I think we have to think about how to make these games differently, and that's scary for a lot of people but that's where i think we're strongest mm-hmm. uh and you hopefully you'll see more of that in you know maybe not so much at launch but in um in future updates how about hidden characters are you going to have like how nba jam did branch out into other stuff and pop culture and have say who knows like people from mortal Kombat series coming in and being in the game is that something you guys are looking forward to well i like i said we are going to be bringing in pretty big uh, IP next week that no one I think will have will have seen coming. But as far as hidden characters, I'd love to do them. Um, we're so you know like we're building these games in such a short amount of time right. um, that we just need to really nail it on on what people actually know will be in the game. But okay. I I have every hope and intention of um, stuffing some Easter eggs in there in terms of playable characters. Nice. I, I you know I don't know if you caught the news on uh, Tim Kitzrow being the voice. Being added, the the voice of NBA Jam will be will be in uh, future versions of our product. Of course, and we've, we've talked about one of the ways we might do that, and one of them might be that he might be actually playable in the game. So oh, that's yeah. something that we're still we're still playing around with to see where that kind of shakes out. But there will be definitely um, in time, we'll find ways to work in. I think things that are hidden that you have to find and unlock, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe that even includes podcasters. I don't know. Maybe you'll be in the game. Oh, that would be awesome. And actually, speaking of Tim, obviously, everyone knows he's a former guest of the show, and I love him to death. Yep. And he's the one who actually put me onto this game. Like, he was, he, he, he sent me stuff, and he's like, oh, I'm involved with this game. Check it out, whatever. And I was like, holy shit, this looks fucking awesome. The only problem I have, yeah. though, is, and I, I want to know, obviously, after two, is you're only available on Apple Arcade and Steam. And for someone who's not a PC type of guy, it's kind of hard to get my hands on it. So is there a console release maybe in the future you guys are looking to? Yes. We're, oh, thank yeah, God. We're, okay. we're aiming to bring it every. We're aiming to bring it to all the consoles. Um, we haven't formally announced it because we don't want to 
you know, we don't want to break any hearts and like say dates and things. And you know how games industry is like, it's, you know, it's tough. It's tough to, <laughs> it's tough. Right. So we, we just focused on making a great game and we're going to get it to as many places as we can. We just want to do it in a non rushed fashion and make sure that it lives up to everyone's expectations. Um, it is, it's, it's going to be available on arcade, Apple arcade first. And then, mm-hmm. uh, and then steam, um, and then we hope to bring it to console and, you know, we might have news about that in the next few months, uh, you know, kind of emerging. But I hear you like I would like to play it on console. Um, we hear that a lot. I think it's a natural fit for that. Of course. Um, even though I'm just very happy to be on Arcade and I think it's a, a great title to have on that platform. I think it's amazing that we've stuffed this game onto a phone like it runs right. on a phone. But it really is a console game. I mean, if you pick it up and play it, you look at it, you know that it's really... When I say a console game, I don't mean that a phone can't handle it. I mean that it's something you'd expect yes. to come out on a, on a PlayStation or an Xbox. No, of course, of course. And how difficult was it working on all this during this last year of the pandemic? Have you guys seen challenges, or is it just another day in the office for you guys? Um, I think, you know, net-net, we lost some of the collaborative in-person benefit of working in a studio. True. and That, that hurts. Um it's not going to be existential to us like it will be for a restaurant, thank God. But, right, right. Um, you know, it's unfortunate. I mean, we just kind of have to plow through it and keep finding ways around it. I think overall we're going to, um, you know, we'll have overcome it when the product comes out. I don't think anyone's going to be able to tell that, you know, it was made, you know, in, in, a, in a disconnected work-from-home fashion. Right, right. Um, but I think I think it's unfortunate, and I think creative, you know, creative uh, collaborative products like this, do better when there's at least some human contact. So I, I'm a little sad about that, but I don't think of course. net net. I don't think it's gonna it's it's not gonna really be a big issue for us. So now I got to know when's the release date? Do you have one? <laughs> we don't have an official one yet, but it is. Okay. You know, I would say it's 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 getting there. It, you know, it's getting there. I I, I want to say this summer. You know, like it should be coming out. Um, and you know, sooner than people may think. Okay. Uh, but I'll let, we'll let you know. Like, and again, it's only the only reason to be cagey about it. So that I'd rather say that than than tell you a date and then be like, oh, you know what? It's going to be thirty more days. Right. Or, yeah. No, of course. And did you have the same team work on both games, or do you have like a split crew, so, so to speak? Same team, same okay. team. We've so grown perfect. the team, but it's the same team. Yeah, and um, I think that's important because um, you know it is a very sort of developed, specified approach to making these games and mm. i think if you had two separate teams in a vacuum or even if they were like aware of each other i don't think you'd get the benefits of the game you made before the second one to really show up right you really learn a lot in the first game and it, it ends up helping on the second game so it is um it's one team they're amazing and in games usually it takes some studios two years to make a mediocre game mm-hmm. you know we're building games i like to think they're amazing. This will be amazing. And it'll have been done in, in, in almost just a year or maybe a little over a year in the case of the basketball game. And like I said, eight months for the for the hockey game. So once you're done this whole ultimate rivals and everything's over and done with and late to bed, what is in your mind? Do you already have something in the works like, oh, I'm going to tackle like, say, an RPG, a shooter, a, a fighting game? Do you have something already? Yeah, oh, I nice. do. Actually, we have, an, um, you know, we don't there's not like any work going into it. But right, right. Yeah, there's ideation around um, a story-driven um, reimagining of the beat 'em up 
genre. So if you oh, go back to like beautiful, you know, Streets of Rage, of course, we haven't really had, I think, an innovative contemporary triple A or triple indie, if you want to call it triple indie, you know, high production value beat em up really happen at all. We have a lot of great retro throwbacks and like you know, remasterings, and you saw Streets of Rage 4, and, yep. and all that's great, but no one's really tried to take that side-scrolling, you know, thin story, but still strong character-driven uh, uh, melee combat kind of game and make it in the modern era. And I have theories about why that is. It might be for reasons that suggest they wouldn't work. We don't know yet. We're still looking into it. But I think, you know, if I had to say, hey, the, the game I'd love to make after all this, if I get the opportunity to make that game, right. it, it could be a re a re rendering of the side scrolling uh, beat em up genre that I think has been lost down the memory hole for the last twenty years. No, for sure, and and I don't know if you heard just this week or last week they announced Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is coming back, uh, right? So yeah. that's going to be a yeah. side scrolling. Hey, here I'm going to throw this in the mix. If you've never thought of this, I don't know if you're a fan, but being from the same era, what about a yeah. Thundercats beat em up side scroller? That could be really cool. However, I don't know that I ever want to make a licensed video game ever again. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> like, I'd say that I'm done with licensed video games, um, you know, after Ultimate Rivals. I think they provide a tremendous opportunity, but they also have their own creative limitations and their own, you know, it's it's difficult. And also, economically, they're not as, they're not as green, you know, blue sky, if you will, as something you own yourself. Right. And I think creating a new IP in the game space is, um, you know, it's it's the other side of the coin that we obviously live on. We live in a heavily licensed coin side. Of course. But to me, after going through that, I would love to actually tackle something original that, that you know, we have total control over and and can do whatever we want with. No, that's awesome. Well, here, I'm going to throw another few things at you. Yeah. Let me see, coming yeah. from your perspective, if these are good ideas. So, a lot of these games back in the day also had a lot of mini-games integrated into them. So, if you guys ever think of some, I'm going to throw some out here. Let me see if you guys would be able to, or if you've never thought of it. How about Dodgeball? I love Dodgeball, yeah. There was a Dodgeball game on the NES. You're, yes, you're right. Yeah, there's a couple of Dodgeball games, yeah. Um there was on, I think, on the on the SNES too. I, I love dodgeball. We do talk about mini games. Uh, Windjammer is another one that you know there I'm you a go. fan of. Great game. We've talked about making an air hockey game on top of our hockey engine and just turning the camera orthogonal. Oh, there you going, go. You know, like using our engine and making mini games. Right. And and there's some really cool stuff you could do. Like it's really just a matter of bandwidth and time. Like once we become a bigger studio, some go. of that stuff could happen in tandem. I love that stuff. I would love to see a whole bunch of mini games that connect all the Ultimate Rivals titles that use the different athletes. Can you imagine how cool that could be? And now I just thought of some another one: Super Spike V Ball. Who doesn't remember that game? Great game, <laughs> right? Totally. Yes, there's some really good, like even like track and field. I mean, there's oh some, my god, yes. You know, back to like California games, and yes, of course. You know, going back to the Apple II C era and stuff like that. There was some, you know, there was some pretty cool. Um, sports titles that were not stick and ball that, that you know, uh, how about Excite Bike? Remember that game? Oh, shit. Well, of course. Who could forget Excite Bike? Like, That's you know what I mean? Great. Yeah. Like, again, yeah. yeah, like the, the options are endless. Like, again, thinking off the top of my head, there's mini golf, table tennis you could do as well. 
like you said, air hockey, like they're so shuffleboard. If you want to go that far, have them on a cruise ship or something retired. (laughs) Bowling. Bowling. There you go. Yes, of course. (laughs) Why not? Exactly. The sky's the limit. (laughs) I would love to make a boxing game. Oh, that, you know, I think, you know, obviously I think that Mike Tyson's punch out game was maybe one of the greatest video games ever made. Agreed. Um, um, different game because it's so deterministic there wasn't a lot of randomness in it but um right right i don't know how that would you know these days that infinite possibility i think is what people look for in in most products as opposed to i can memorize every element of it but i don't know i think there's something about that game that stood the test of time no of course and obviously this is a good problem to have because you haven't painted yourselves into a corner the boss like you said the, the sky's the limit you have so many possibilities and that's fantastic i guess for a video game studio right because yeah. then it's always like what's next what's next but in your eyes it's like we need more time we need more time <laughs> yeah 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 exactly we need more time we always need more time it's funny it's like games take a lot of time to get right that's of something course. i think people don't yeah it's hard to understand um yeah. it's not like movies where you can exactly you know you, you can kind of get it to where you want it in the editing room um doesn't quite work that way with games um and and i think very few games know what they really are until they're done Mm -hmm. you might know 90 percent of it but to really get something special you need that last 10 percent to be unburdened from um you know you don't want to be an artiste about it where you're spending five years making you know a game that you can make in a year and a half but i think we learned from the first game you want the time to really take it to the next level and i think this title will definitely demonstrate that no, of course. So, you ready for the worst story of the week, my friend? Yes. Okay, so this story comes from Pennsylvania. And, okay, this one's re- there's so many things wrong with this story. So, I'll just read it out and then we'll get into it, all right? Okay, all right. <laughs> all right, so. So, a Philadelphia woman has been charged with misdemeanor counts of cyber harassment. Obviously, this is huge nowadays cyberbullying, cyber. But no one would think that. A woman, and I'll get into it, she's 50 years old, would be the one as a bully. Like, you know what I mean? And, again, most 50-year-olds don't, I hate to say, don't know how to use technology to the point to harass people with it, right? Interesting. So it's already weird. Exactly. So, as mentioned, uh, there was a 50-year-old woman. She was arrested recently after sending videos supposedly depicting her victims in indecent situations. So, her daughter along with the harassed girls are all members of a traveling cheerleader team. So she harassed, so her daughter's a cheerleader. Oh, I, I heard this story, yeah. Oh, did you? Okay, so it's perfect. So I think I heard, I may have heard like little pieces of it. I try to, I try to avoid the news these days, but yeah, me I, too. it sounds familiar. Yeah. So yeah. in a nutshell, 50-year-old woman, her daughter was part of a cheerleading team, and she will, so the mom was harassing the other cheerleaders instead of her own right. daughter, right? Okay. So the woman is charged with sending the pictures and videos anonymously to the targeted girls and several cheerleading coaches. So the coaches as well got involved. The messages showed the girls engaging in compromising behavior, including drinking, smoking, and partying naked. She allegedly also wrote text messages to her victims, which included telling them to kill themselves. So this woman went way out there. So apparently her goal was to get rid of the rival cheerleaders and get them kicked off the team so then her daughter would rise to the top and be like the head cheerleader. Again, craziness, right? 
Very much so, definitely. So people are probably asking how did this woman do all this stuff, right? Because it was fake videos, as mentioned. So it's not like she actually got naked pictures of these girls or anything. So it's nothing like that, right? So the woman created the videos by mapping the girls' social media photos. Their faces had been plastered onto other people's heads in the nude videos. So she took someone else's nude video and put these girls' heads on it to depict that. So the police tracked the source of the girl's telephone numbers to a website that sells phone numbers to telemarketers. So this woman went way out. Like she had this probably planned for years, right? (laughs) So they found the IP address was located directly to her house in Pennsylvania. And it so happens that the woman lived there, obviously. And then the cops searched her phone and found evidence linked to everything. So now here, here are the three craziest things. First off, the woman denied everything and still claims that she's not guilty and never did any of this when there's proof in the pudding. So... She also said that her daughter had no knowledge. Do you believe that part of this? The whole story seems very bizarre. It does seem like we're entering entering an era where artificial intelligence is creating, you know, a whole other dimension of problems that I don't think anyone's ever thought of. It's like if you ever watch any of the Philip K, you know, read any of Philip K. Dick's novels or see the film adaptations, you know, like Minority Report. And, yes. You know, or if Isaac Asimov's works, we're definitely, we're definitely moving into a realm where, right. um, I, you know, what you see, you have to begin to wonder if what it is is real and what's not real. And, exactly. Uh, with the infinite power of computing that ostensibly is infinite, right? It seems that way at times with how many machines there are and how advanced things are getting. It's... Uh, it's definitely a very odd era we're living in. I mean, as someone who grew up in the eighties and we watched all those movies like yes. you know, Blade Runner and like Terminator and um, <laughs> no, it we I think we always saw that stuff as fascinating, you know, possibility, but right. I don't know that I ever thought we'd ever find ourselves in a day and age where uh, you know, an I say an average person. I mean, I'm almost I'm almost fifty. I'm forty four. But when anybody could just down, you know, yeah. create something and make it look like it's something totally different is um is kind of frightening, actually. <laughs> unfortunately, um, right. And it just shows the potential of technology. I think to be to be misused just as much as it is there to help us at times. So I uh, it's unfortunate to hear that's a horrible story. So do you believe that the daughter wasn't involved? And do you think that this woman did it all on her own? Because now it sounds like the daughter had something to do with all this. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know enough of the facts to really comment other than to say the whole thing sounds really weird. And, um, you know, it, you know, I guess there's, um, as a parent, you know, like I, we, we want our kids to be competitive and to be successful, sure. right? And there's a, there's a level where it's like you need to teach your kids also the value of just competing on the merit and not there you go you know not competing and, and uh um i i don't know i mean it sounds like somebody was a little more concerned with winning than than teaching that lesson to their kid and i i can only hope that uh they all learn from it and don't make that mistake again yeah but you know what the one props i do give this 50 year old woman is how much she would do for her daughter because my parents like even my dad so to speak i've been doing this <laughs> podcast for four years he still doesn't even know i fucking do this shit he doesn't Exactly, and this woman is literally sending threats and r- potentially ruining her own life and going to jail just so her daughter could be happy. Your dad is not calling all the other podcasters out there. <laughs> I wish, actually, he should. Yeah, he's really let you down. <laughs> you know, with technology today, he has no reason to be so lazy. He really ought to be. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's sure. I guess that's the one positive you can draw from it. But um, there's better ways to support your kids. Um, <laughs> that's hilarious 
Well, Ben, thank you very much for coming aboard. Really appreciate it. Now's the time. Plug yeah. your stuff where people can find you, where people can find the games. Anything up and coming, what floor is all yours. Take your time, my friend. Yeah, um, you, know, you can play Ultimate Rivals Rink on App Arcade right now. Um, Ultimate Rivals Support, which is our NBA licensed basketball game 3 and 3, is wrapping up development and will be coming to Apple Arcade soon. Um, we do have a Steam page up for Ultimate Rivals Support. Would be awesome if you added us to your wish list. Checked it out. Mm-hmm. Follow my Twitter feed, which is uh, Ben Friedland, uh, E before I. And if you want to see the latest breaking news on Ultimate Rivals, it'll always come from my account before it comes from anywhere. Nice. Um, and play the games because they're not like anything you've ever played before in the space. And if you love Jam, if you love Street, if you love Street Fighter, if you love Mortal Kombat um, or Rocket League, I think you'll find little bits of each of them in a way that will, um, you know, have you rethinking the sports category for years to come. That's awesome. And for myself, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter under Finger Styles. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, the podcast DAP. Email us your thoughts, suggestions, comments, anything you want to get off your chest at the podcast DAP at gmail.com. Please rewind to the top of the show. Support those fine sponsors because if it helps them out, it helps me out. And please, most importantly, rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms. One last thing I want to touch on before I let you go, Ben. Sure. You guys live streamed on Twitch a beta version of the game. Now, a lot of developers and studios don't have the balls to do that because there's a lot of glitches. Were you guys scared something was going to seriously go wrong or were you that confident? Well, I think that um, I'm, I'm really confident in the game, you know, as it is that I'm not afraid for people to see things that are not yet perfect about it because there's okay. so much that's great about it, you know. Um, I think that the phenomenal quality that it already has um, gives me the confidence to not really worry about it. You know, look, you're going to see little bugs in the game at this. We're almost done, but I wanted to see people's reaction, and it looks like um, it's getting a lot of really positive reception. And um, no, I'm not. I, I I never. It really never crossed my mind, honestly, that people would have a problem with bugs. I think today people are used to early access games, which True. we're not. By the way, we're not going to release a half baked product, but right. their expectations are so low <laughs> from that sort of phenomenon that seeing a stream of a game right. that isn't. 100% baked, uh, especially in a category where it's starved. Um, they're willing to, I think they're willing to overlook that and they see the potential in it. That's awesome. On that note, he's Ben. I'm Steve. This is the podcast. Peace.